I said something funny. Oh, it sounds like death. You know what I found out today? What? The smoking's bad for you. When when you're pregnant, you can't eat hot dogs. Oh, no. So I decided to have my uterus removed. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. I can't. That's illegal. (laughs) Cue intro. Welcome to the Noah's Love Podcast. I'm Father Michael. I'm Molly. Oh, no. (laughs) I was a little sick. I'm a little sick. I'm going to probably not talk a ton during this podcast. Just so everyone's aware, it's because it would probably annoy all of you. <laughs> Who It'd are you? It'd be funny if we didn't have a guest and you said that. <laughs> I know. It's just, it's just like a yeah. homily. Monologue. We have a guest. It's me. For the second time ever. Father, Father Matthew, Matthew Gossett. Your brother. Tell the funny story of what you said in Mass today. Well, oh, no. So Father Matthew is moving parishes and he's becoming a pastor of one of the parishes right here. In the big city of Steubenville. The big city. <laughs> and uh, because we have the same last name and the same first name initial, M, being that letter. And uh, everybody, that's three times today, people were like, so sorry to hear you're leaving or when are you leaving? <laughs> it was like, thank goodness. That's right. But, uh, no. um, and so at Mass I said, it's not me, it's my brother. Read the paper more carefully. And I cackled. Mm-hmm. Good job. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. No, it'll be nice. It'll be nice to be up here. We have some plans for some cool things with Noah's Love because I'll be closer, not two and a half hours away. Yeah, that'll be really cool yeah. to be able to all meet. And Are we going to come to every episode of the podcast and just sit there? <laughs> yeah, monitoring. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just have like a a scale that says, how's it going? <laughs> you can clap and laugh for us. That's right. <laughs> I need some Johan introductions, though, like in the live episode. Yeah. That was amazing. It was really the good. sound on that turned out so nice. Yes, that was some creative editing. Uh, good job. <laughs> <laughs> the topic for today, uh, I was texting Father Matthew, and he just said, how about guilt slash shame? And that's the extent of the discussion that we had about <laughs> this. I'm surprised we haven't done that before. I, d- I don't remember <laughs> if you have or not. There's a chance we have. I want to dig into it a little yeah, bit more. No it's, well, n- no, it's not. You could have a million different conversations sure. about that. So. Yeah, I've just, it's been something that's been on my mind really for the last few months, this idea of shame. Um, yeah, just in working with with college students, I get to see uh, and see them really grow in really beautiful ways and have some really beautiful conversations with them. And something that I think that keeps coming up and a lot of the conversations I have with them is this idea of shame. I've just been really wondering why, like where does that come from? And really about like guilt too. Um, but I think to kind of put this in context, the verse or the the story that kind of like keeps coming to mind with about guilt and shame and all of this is uh, the healing of the woman, the woman with bleeding mm-hmm. um, in between the healing of Jairus' daughter. So I can read that. Please do. Here we go. I give you permission. Thank you. Oh, no. Okay, so this is Luke 8, and it starts in verse 42-ish. Okay. 
And Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Or as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she spent had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Boom. Yeah, so I think in that translation, um, that's from the ESV, like the English Standard Version or something. It uses different words in different translations, but I really liked uh, just that verse where it talked about after she was healed, when she realized, um, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. I love that idea that even though she was healed, even though she experienced the fruit of what she really was seeking after, she was still in hiding, Mm -mm. that she was still hidden from everyone. And this is what I I guess this is why I keep getting drawn to this with the idea of guilt and shame. Um, Because, and I would say that this is probably more shame than guilt. Maybe we could define these terms in a second. But, um, at least with shame, it's like she yeah she came what she got she she got what she came for, but she was still in need of further healing, and Jesus asking who touched me I think is a way of calling her out of hiding, or calling her out of her shame, um, because then she had to actually stand up and say like yeah like I needed you Jesus, this is what I need and I had to declare it before everyone and also declare what happened what was the fruit of that encounter. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's why I think it's so beautiful to see in this story, there's kind of multiple layers of healing, I think, taking place because again, let's dig into, I guess, defining terms a bit and I don't have a dictionary. This is just kind of working definitions from my own thoughts. But I think with what we see with shame is a real problem with being able to recognize who we are. Um, it's like a distortion of the self. And we see this, I think, biblically over and over again. Like, of course, going back to the garden and after that first sin of Adam and Eve, when the relationship was severed between God and themselves, he asked them, where are you and what were they doing? They were hiding um, because that shame, it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't permitting them to see their true relationship with God. It wasn't allowing them to see God as who he was. Um, in other words, shame is distorting. When we're in a healthy relationship with God, we can receive better from him. When we're in a healthy relationship with other people, we can receive better from other people. When we're in a healthy relationship with ourselves, we can receive better from ourselves. Um, but what does shame do? Shame distorts. It distorts our capacity to receive in so many ways. And so when Adam and Eve were hiding, it's because instead of knowing God as the one who provided for them and protected for them and gave them this place of intimacy with him, instead they were now seeing him kind of as a threat, 
a threat that they had to hide from and someone that maybe was going to destroy them. Again, it, it warped their capacity to know who God was. And even as we know from, you know, John Paul II's beautiful theology of the body with the harmonies that were just destroyed, they couldn't see each other. No longer bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh could they sing to one another. No longer were they able, even able to see their own person with absolute vulnerability. But now it was veiled. It was veiled in this sin. It was veiled in shame. And so maybe we can first talk about shame and then we can get into guilt. Because I think mm. guilt, guilt guilt, can be a gift. But I think that um, before we get to guilt, I think we have to talk about shame. Because I think that shame in many ways is like a weaponized guilt. That's a good way of putting it. Like, I don't think guilt is a bad thing in and of itself. Guilt is uh, the result of recognizing your sin, recognizing that you've done wrong. But shame is a different thing because it it's not about, oh, objectively, I've done something and it was bad, um, that I've hurt someone that I've not loved. Shame, like you said, is much more about how you see yourself, uh, looking back at um, who you are because you've done something wrong. And shame can, you know, shame can be there even when you haven't done something, but the experience of shame from sin, which isn't like the woman in the story, um, Guilt leads us to—to me, guilt leads us to repentance. That's its job. But shame is something that needs healed. Like, shame is not just, uh, oh, I did something wrong. Shame says, there's something wrong with me because I've sinned. Uh, I'm not lovable because I've sinned. It's turning around and looking at ourselves and, like, with a distorted view because of something we've done or something that's been done to us. I think— shame or guilt can either lead to shame or to mercy Hmm. and like it's meant to lead us to seek out mercy because like if i do something wrong if i don't feel guilt i'm not going to run to confession as quickly probably i'm going to maybe forget about it when i shouldn't when i should sit with it so that i don't do it again like it's good to sit with that guilt for a little bit sometimes i know at least for me when i've done something i shouldn't do and i feel that experience of guilt Sometimes that's what pushes me to fight more in the future, to fight to choose virtue. But it's meant to lead us to seeking out that mercy, like you said. But I think if it doesn't lead us to that, it leads us in a deeper shame, which can cause us to run away from mercy or to like feel like we don't deserve it so we don't seek it out. Right. Yeah, no, I think, and again, kind of leaning into guilt again, um, I, I would say that in many ways guilt... Guilt seems like a natural response to a healthy conscience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meaning that if we have a right ordered conscience and a sensitive constant conscience to sin, um, like guilt is a natural, um, I don't know, response where it's like, okay, like I need to do something with this. And again, as you were saying, Molly, like if it's a properly ordered conscience and we understand like what avenues we need to take, then that guilt is actually something that can be turned into redemption. It's something where it's like, wow, like I actually need mercy because of this. I think I was kind of joking about it in my homily this morning um, because we heard about the parable of the unfruitful fig tree. And, uh, you know, we talked about, or we heard how Jesus was using this to describe how the gardener needs to cultivate and to fertilize the fig tree in order to hopefully see fruit come from it. And so I was just preaching a little bit about the fertilizer, which is something that it's like, well, why, why do we want to talk about cow poop or dung? But it's like, what what is that fertilizer? What's something that's like filth, uh, 
but it's actually going to lead to fruit. And it's sin, it's guilt, it's sin leading to the guilt that's leading to the fruit. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't need it. But I, I think that, and I was kind of joking about this, but this is a very serious thing in a way. Um, over the last several decades, maybe, and maybe before then, at least, I mean, this, this seems like the trajectory we've been on. There's kind of been this maybe conflation between guilt and shame, so much so that when we think that we feel bad, it's it's just, it, it must be shame. And so we just need to get away from those feelings of shame. And it's true, if we're feeling shame, we need to do something with it. But the problem is that we can also feel bad when we're guilty of something. Mm-hmm. Like if we've committed a sin, it's right to feel bad about that because we've either you know offended God, ourselves, our neighbor, we've cut off our relationships in some way. But again, with that weird conflation, we try to push guilt away to the point that guilt no longer exists and that shouldn't exist and therefore sin doesn't exist. And that's a that's a tremendous problem. Um, so many times you hear people are saying, oh, I, I just heard it from my deacon this morning. His neighbor saw that he was going to Mass and and she was like, oh, oh where are you going this early or whatever? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm going to Mass. And um, she's like, oh, you must really love uh, feeling guilty. Like just, <laughs> just that idea of like, quote unquote, Catholic guilt. Yeah. Um, and that's just a toxic phrase because, again, it's leading us to think that guilt is bad in and of itself rather than what has happened, which is, again, when it's become weaponized or it's been used as a way uh, in a way that's incredibly unjust um, as a way of kind of guilting people into behavior, like behavior patterns, saying, well, you should feel bad about not going to Mass, um, and so I should go to Mass. You should feel bad about, you know, having sex outside of marriage, and so I won't do that. And maybe in a kind of Christian culture where that was kind of like the zeitgeist, maybe that kind of worked. It was incredibly flimsy. But as soon as we have a culture that's just ruptured by the sexual revolution, the therapeutic revolutions, and all these different kinds of great societal changes, all of those structures of building behavior based on guilt, they fall apart. And what happens? People lose interest in the church. They lose interest in the faith because they don't want to feel bad anymore. And they think in order not to feel bad, they just shouldn't go to church. Whereas the problem wasn't the problem was more in communicating why the behaviors are expected, you know, of us and like what sin does to us, how it does sever the relationship, how it does distort our capacity to see God, to see ourselves and our neighbor. Um, But instead it was just kind of this box checky thing that was just this flimsy system waiting to fall apart as opposed to something that's really rooted in God's love. The other part of the gospel today was, uh, Jesus talking, people came to him and said, did you hear about the Galileans that Herod executed and mingled their blood with the sacrifice? And that's a horrible thing. And Jesus brought up the a tower fell on people in Jerusalem and killed them. And he says with both of those instances, do you think they were worse sinners? By no means. But I tell you, you will all perish as they did if you don't repent. Um, and just the idea that... Um, there are worse things than feeling bad, um, right. and so fe- guilt. That's what your whole homily was. was yeah, that was that's what I <laughs> talked about. That um, there are bad things in the world. There's suffering in the world, and even like the suffering of having to face the fact that you're not living the way that you should. Um, it should lead us to a deeper thing. 
uh, Jesus says repentance, not just behaving. Mm -hmm. Um, He says repentance, and repentance is a change of heart, recognizing how I'm not loving and and choosing to love the way that, that God calls me to. And yeah, I think exactly what you said, if we build our faith based on guilting people into things, people just won't practice the faith. Yeah. Because, it, no, you go ahead. Because, because uh, um, I, I don't want to feel bad. Right. And if I don't have to, because at least in, in that mindset, it doesn't matter that much, then why put myself through it? Yeah, and it really is all based around, I don't want to feel this way. And the, it, it, it seems like there's three options to me when you, like if you're dealing with guilt or shame, there's three options to changing that in people's minds, quote-unquote changing that. One, stop, you know, choosing to believe that what you're doing is wrong and just tell yourself that it's okay. And you're not going to feel bad if you no longer tell yourself it's okay or no longer surround yourself with people that call you on and tell you it's not okay. Two, like, diet, like, we can, instead of trying to, like, actually deal with it, like dive deeper into the shame and wallow in it and let it you know keep us away from mercy just because we think that we're bad and it seems like people think that there's one that those are the only two options like either I am feeling bad all the time I feel shameful that runs my life that rules my decisions or I don't let my like my decisions don't really matter because nothing's good and nothing's bad it's just about what I want but like the third option is really what the church teaches of like bring it to the Lord and like you're it's not about following these rules that the church lays out or like that the faith lays out for the sake of not feeling shameful or not feeling bad or feeling bad or whatever it's it's about love and we just think it's all about, like, people base their decisions so much on, I want to feel good, I don't want to feel bad, this is how I avoid that, this is how I do that. But really, it's like, we we make proper decisions and respond to guilt in a healthy way because of love, not because we want to feel guilty or we don't want to feel guilty. It doesn't have anything to do with how we feel. Faith is sometimes going to be difficult, and it's not going to feel good there's going to be bad feelings because we're human and we're not inclined to perfection because of the fall. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not worth it. But there's just this idea that's just thrown at us in the world of like, if it brings any sort of negative feeling, then what, like, then that's a problem. But that's like, we can't expect to perfectly align with goodness when we're like living in such a broken world and we're inclined towards sin. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, oh, I think that there's another way that the church has said that, which is perfect and imperfect contrition. Yes. Right? I mean, like, imperfect contrition is when, well, it's still, there's goodness in it, but it's when we're motivated by that fear of hell or that kind of guilt or whatever, whereas perfect contrition and confession is when we're motivated by really love of God. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I think that, um, that, that in her wisdom, the church gives us these kind of distinctions because it shows us that there's an imperfection when our lives are solely built around fear or guilt or anything like that. And again, it's not to say that guilt is bad in and of itself, but rather if all of our actions are coming out of that or motivated by that, we're really missing out on the fruit of a faith life that's truly living and flourishing. And um, yeah, I, I think kind of 
speaking to what you were saying as well, if I can remember, again, no background in psychology, just so citation needed on this. Okay. Um, but just that idea of like cognitive dissonance as well, where it's like, well, what happens when we're doing something that um, isn't, you know, in line with what we believe? Um, well, what we're either going to change our beliefs or we're going to change our behavior. And so the same thing can happen, I think, when guilt is really in our hearts, where it's like we're actually starting to feel guilty um, about something. It's like, okay, well, and I see this, again, with the college students I work with, or I shouldn't say most of the ones that I don't work with, I see this in, um, the ones who kind of stopped coming to church and that I don't really get to see anymore because they came to college, maybe they went to a Catholic school all their lives, and they had regularly gone to Mass until they went to a secular university. And then what happens? They're confronted with this option of... Oh gosh! Oh my goodness! I I thought I thought there was more of a transition. I popped the seat legs out. Sorry, guys. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I'll continue. <laughs> um, so, yeah, with with college students, like yeah, again, like they went to Catholic school all their lives. They um, went to mass regularly, but obviously there was like something that wasn't fruitful in their formation because as soon as they came to college. They were faced with these options where, you know, they believed, okay, I shouldn't be drinking underage. I shouldn't be getting drunk and doing all these things, having sex outside of marriage. But then um, the behavior of everyone around me and even stuff that seems so enticing and good is doing that. And so one of those is going to change. Yeah, and and, suddenly it's really hard to right, not do those things. And right, all of a sudden, it's a lot it's a lot easier to just give up on what you believe and just align yep. everything with what you want to do and then change your belief set. Yep. Um and it's it's hard, but again, if we're not kind of grounding our faith lives in that or in ordering our faith lives in that relational context, we're missing out on so much. If it's yeah. just about checking boxes and saying, "Okay, I went to mass today. I went to confession," um, and it, we're just kind of like going through the motions, but there isn't an actual deepening conversion and deepening relationship with God. What are we doing? Yeah, and I have a lot of my kids in my that in my class that I teach. I'll do a lot of like reflective activities of just like, "What do you think about this?" And there's no right or wrong answer. You just have to complete it. And a lot of kids in some activities that I give them in class are like, I know that this is right, but I don't want, like, they'll just say this, I don't want to do it right now, so I'm going to commit my life to this when I'm older. But right now, I'm just, I don't really want to put in the effort, so I'm just not going to. And it's, it's crazy, like, that we've gotten to that point in the world, like, it's not just that people don't know, it's just that they don't care, you know? And they think that we all think we have time to care later like oh when i'm when i'm older and i and it's and i'm life isn't as wild like then i'll follow jesus but we can't live with that expectation like tomorrow is a gift the day after is a gift i might not be given that you sure. might not be given that but it's tough um with young people i think especially just kind of have this belief like i have time to turn my ways around and it's hard it's too hard to do it right now so I'm gonna wait until it's more in line with the phase of life I'm in I guess yeah and there's a deep cut let's go back to Kierkegaard um, talking with this <laughs> talking to a priest friend of mine and he was taught we were talking about this kind of concept um because uh, it's not just with young people I think but it is, we're definitely seeing it for sure with younger people right now um 
But apparently, and again, this is another citation needed um, <laughs> from Kierkegaard. Check out the show notes. <laughs> right. If, yeah, I'll try to remember to put that in. <laughs> I <was just> but <laughs> I think I think what he's speaking about, again, he's speaking from kind of a Reformed or whatever background. It's not a Catholic background. So he says that like kind of instead of faith and sin, what we see people building their faith upon are kind of either um, aesthetics or morality, ethics. Um, So it's like we see that people are very good at saying, okay, I want to have the aesthetics of faith. And so if I have a beautiful church or if I have the beautiful sensation of like praise and worship or like I have the emotional kind of investment – but that's like a really shallow way of living. You can't faith. build it, a faith on that, right? But but that's where many of our people are today. Yeah. And all then the other ones is on the ethics, on the moral life, where it's like, okay, um, you know, again, it's like, okay, I go to mass, I I go to confession, I go to a fish fry, you know, like whatever the things people kind of are. But, but, Eighth sacrament, right? Right, exactly. It's like go to bingo. It's uh-huh. like it's like these things have kind of like been compressed into like the quote unquote morality or the uh, ethics of the church it's like it doesn't matter why we do it but we know we're supposed to do it and uh, yeah again with Kierkegaard he sees obvious problems with that because as soon as it's challenged as soon as um, there is a confrontation of what the belief system is then all those things are going to fall apart I've heard the phrase before of people saying I'm just trying to get to heaven um, by doing something in the church that like as long as i just sort of steady on like keep showing up at this thing like i'm a lector i'm good (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah like that we we could narrow our idea of faithfulness and relationship well it's not it's not relationship with god it's not faithfulness yeah yeah and and it's narrow it down to this one thing and i i think and this isn't entirely the topic but there's so much more for all of us and it's really sad when people are like, "Nope, this is all it is. This is, this is oh, faith yeah. for me. It's this box, um, and that's what's going to see me through, and that's going to be enough for me for my life." Um, not, but it's like it's this vast landscape. It doesn't have to be just this thing, and guilt and shame can be a reason uh, why we don't explore that because like, well, I just don't want to feel bad. I want to make sure I, I check that morality, that ethics box in the way that I understand it. Then I don't have to worry about anything. Right. No, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it's off topic at all. I think that this is exactly on topic with guilt and shame um, because it's kind of like those, what do we do with those feelings of like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not doing this right. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately what that has done has shallowed our, faith life or whatever it is to the point that it's like this is this is all we can expect out of it rather than like you said this vast landscape Mm -hmm. of relationship and this vast valley of the depths of god's love for us because again if if we're not rooting ourselves in relationship if we're not rooting ourselves um in that baptismal identity of being the beloved son being the beloved daughter well Everything else becomes very shallow. It becomes kind of myopic in a sense that we only are able to see, okay, am I getting to Mass on time? Or even like people say, like, did it count? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, oh, I showed up at this time at Mass. Did it count? Yeah. And it's like, that again, that's a sign of like, I don't want to feel guilty. And so Mm -hmm. did it count? And so, yeah, again, this isn't the only lens that things can be looked through. But I think it's a good kind of examination to think, um, okay, Am I am I viewing my faith simply through the lens of guilt? And again, th- 
it could be helpful to do that as a kind of an imperfect contrition or shame as well. Am I viewing my faith through the lens of shame where I think that the main purpose is just not to make God angry and to kind of hide from his wrath and just kind of like submarine myself under the radar so that God doesn't see me so much so I can kind of escape my way into heaven. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I, I think that being able to really have that closer examination can lead us towards that fruitful life. Again, going back to the readings of today, um, we see that our readings didn't just talk about one plant. It talked about two, right? The first one being the burning bush. And I think that 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 can be a model for what we're looking for. That should be the model of the life we want to live, where we're not this barren fig tree. We're not taking up the resources from the other plants. We're not kind of just depriving people of the fruitfulness, but rather we want to be that burning bush. As Moses saw it, it wasn't consumed. God doesn't want to obliterate our person. He doesn't want to obliterate our gifts for the sake of giving us, you know, some kind of like super grace or something Mm -hmm. like that, but rather he wants to set us on fire with his love. God wants to lead us into this deeper place of intimacy with him so that we're able to actually be seen by other people as that burning bush so that when we speak to people, they say, wow, God is speaking to me right now. When I love people, like God is loving me through you right now. But for so many of us, we don't really lead, lead, think we don't, we want to stay kind of short of that because that's scary and it's risky. We kind of box ourselves into what our faith life can look like kind of based on these, these boxes of guilt or shame um, so that we just don't feel bad. But God is calling us to so much deeper. And that's why I think kind of practically applying this, this is why it's so important to go to confession, but it's essential that we do an examination of conscience every time we go to confession. Why? Well, what happens? We tend to confess the same sins over and over again, right? Like that, And there's goodness in confessing those if those are things that are in our heart. But why is that a problem? The devil is the king of distraction. He wants to do everything possible to keep us from that one thing, from Jesus Christ and from our deeper relationship with him. He wants to do everything possible to distract us and make all the noise in the world so that we're just looking everywhere else than where we actually need to look to grow in closer union with the Lord's heart. And so if we're not doing a good examination of conscience, if all we're doing is just going to confession, confessing the same sins again, over and over again, kind of checking the box, what is that doing? It's giving the devil a victory. Yeah, we're going to confession, and that's good. But if we do a good examination of conscience, looking through the Ten Commandments, looking at the Beatitudes, looking at all the th- parts of Scripture that help us really recognize what are God's expectations of me? How does God see me, and how am I falling short of that? How am I hiding myself in shame from how God sees me? Because when we do a full good examination of conscience, we might begin to see other areas of our lives that are sinful, that have we become so focused on these other things that we're just so unaware of. And again, I think that's a victory for the devil because he doesn't want us to see these other areas that are keeping us from growing in virtue. He doesn't want us to see these other areas that are that are keeping us from conforming our hearts to the Lord's. It's a really common thing, and I know I've experienced it, and I hear people in the confessional experience it, is to get trapped on one sin and the the idea is that if i would just stop doing this i'd be good like that would be it right but and it's what you're saying father matthew is not like no you're really actually terrible right. and you just need to pay attention more right. <laughs> but more that 
uh, God wants to reveal like, oh, here's where these other places where you need healing. Like right. this, these are these other places where I, where God wants to work and transform us. Um, and the devil can use the guilt and the shame that we feel over one sin to stop us from just being open to like all the ways that God wants to bring us to holiness. And there's a lot more than just the things that we think of. And I think it goes back to the gospel reading of today, like with the the blood being mixed with their sacrifices and the tower falling over. Those are distractions, right? Like, I mean, those are kind of like, it's like if someone were to come today and like, oh, what do you think about this political hot topic button mm-hmm. or this this geopolitical issue or something right now? And what does Jesus always say? What does he say after both of those? Repent. Mm-hmm. And so that that ought to be our first response when we're stuck kind of in the distractions of the world to say like, okay, but have I repented? Am I in need of repentance? Because it can be, again, so easy to get caught up in the distractions of the devil to the point that we're not focused on that one thing, on Jesus Christ, and our own need of repentance to come into a deeper relationship with him. Yeah, repentance is not about living in guilt. Right. It's about living in love. Mm -hmm. It's all about love, man. Oh, man. Let's stop that. <laughs> this is like my big fight because there like the idea of love has just been so tarnished by it that really kind of, yeah. And I so know. when people hear it they're like, "Oh, let me roll my eyes or something." But it's like, what if you actually looked at that? Like I think sometimes we don't get beyond the fact like when people are like, "Really it is the center of it like is love." Like what if you actually took a minute to think about that? Yeah. Like, and sometimes people are just, like you said, just roll their eyes at that, and they're like, oh, yeah, I know, I it was know, like that, I'm supposed to be loving, blah, right. blah, blah. It was like the, that Chesterton quote, if I can, again, citation needed, <laughs> uh, just for the sake of saying it correctly. I mean, we could Google it quickly, but it's something like, it's not that the Christian ideal has been found uh, wanting. wanting, but it's found hard. It hasn't been tried. It's been, yeah, difficult and yeah. hasn't been tried. Mm-hmm. And like, what is the Christian ideal? It's love. Like, that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what we're called to do, what Jesus himself commands us to do. And I think a lot of people, we live in such a fallen view of ourselves, which ends up being the root of so much sin. Like, obviously, we all sin, right? But if we remain in this view of ourselves where it's like, I, I'm impossible. It's, I'm impossible. Oh, <laughs> it's you impo- are. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible Project for me to choose virtue. It's impossible for me. Like, that's too hard. Like, I've, I have found that in a lot of instances, especially, like, I went on a mission trip once, and I'm sure I've referenced it before. Blah, blah, blah. Long story, we went into clubs to, like, try to, to just dance. to dance, <laughs> really. <laughs> to not necessarily walk up to people and be like, you know, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but to, to say... To try to like, you know, lead to some conversations where people aren't just trying to be an example of not trying to get something out of someone. Um, and it frequently came up because there were some people who would literally walk up to me and be like, how many people have you slept with this week? And I'd be like, get this, I'm a virgin. <laughs> and they, the response was never once. What? That's so weird. It was always, wow, I can never do that. Right. And... Like, we just think that we're incapable of virtue. And you know what? That's the problem is, like, we are on our own. Like, I'm not going to be able to love in the way I'm called to, separate of relationship from with Jesus. And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to find that it's really hard to to live out virtue in the way that you're called to because it's like the heart of it is that love that we share with Christ and that it's him working through us. Like his power is made perfect in in weakness, it says in scripture. And that takes 
us going to him and inviting him to like work in us in that way. But I, I find that a lot of people just don't even give it a shot. It's just like, I know I can't. So right. I may as well run in the total opposite direction and just do whatever the heck I want because it's just too hard to choose the faith. Mm. And it's, and it's not just for people that maybe be or that are far from God either. It's even in our own church too, where it's like, we can boldly proclaim the resurrection. We can boldly proclaim that this bread and wine has been absolutely transformed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. We make these incredibly bold statements right. of faith, and yet we don't believe that we're lovable. Mm. <laughs> yeah, jeez. <laughs> Take a minute to chew on that. Right. For real. I, I, Are you chewing? I, I have, I'm <laughs> chewing. <laughs> I literally don't know what to say back that. I think that's just something we all need to sit with. Like, it's true. We can just sit there and say, yeah, like the Catholic Church believes some things that are objectively pretty crazy sounding. Um, But it's so hard, even the most. Like, I, I try deeply to practice my faith. But yeah, there's many days where I would go to Mass and receive the Eucharist and fully believe what's happening. We say the creed. Yeah, and, and, and mean and it. And yet we struggle saying, I am worth loving. Yeah, like imagine yeah. if we had to go into Mass and say this like this anthem of self-affirmation. Like how many how many of us <laughs> would not happened, say Probably I'm scared. <laughs> no, it's not. I'm just saying like, obviously, this is, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I'm just saying like my point is how hard that would be. Mm-hmm. Chew on it, people. Chew. <laughs> I'm, I'm resisting the urge to make yeah. chewing noises into the microphone. <laughs> we had enough of that last week. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was eating cake last week, and Father Matthew texted me when he was editing. He was like, you can't eat anymore. At just... one in the morning <laughs> <laughs> after you all finished recording. Listen, my favorite thing one time, you were like, oh, man, we, you know, it's midnight. We, it's not that late. We finished, and I'm thinking, now I have to edit it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. We need to be slightly more considerate. No, no, it's 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 fine. <laughs> I, I asked him once because he's never like worried about it, and sometimes it's I'm so awake. late. And then he, he's like, "You don't understand. He yeah. stays up very yeah. late." I think all this made me think of a song. Uh-oh. Not one I'm making up and singing now, but uh, one of my favorite bands, "Me Without You," has a song called "The King Beetle on Coconut Estates." Yeah, we were just talking about this You've recently. You talked about this on a previous co- podcast. Yeah. Did I? I it, think was, you did. it was very recently, I think. Dang it. But go ahead. <laughs> well, Tell so it's the story of for new these bugs. <laughs> these bugs, and they live on a farm, and they and at this time of the year, the farmer burns, I don't even know what he's burning, but he lights this big fire of, of <laughs> uh, like, trash or waste, and they're all like, what is it? They want to know what this thing is, and so the king beetle sends, like, a scientist bug and a soldier bug, and they come back basically describing it, and uh, at one point he's like, "I don't, I didn't ask what it seems like. I asked what it is." And at the end, the king beetle just flies into the fire because he wants to know what it is. But the chorus at the end of the song is just again and again, "Why not be utterly changed into fire?" And uh, I think tied tied into the burning bush, just like we're not made to just look at the fire from afar. We're not just meant to feel the heat of the fire. Or hear what it's, uh, or to what be, it's like. <laughs> or to be burned. We're, we're going to be changed into fire, to right. be transformed. And that, God willing, is what will be shared. Like, again, that that is what will set the world a- ablaze, is that desire to be on fire. And so, yeah, we have to ask ourselves, and part of that examination of conscience is saying, like, Lord, do I, do I want to be set on fire? 
Um, do I do I want to be set on fire by your love? Do I want do I want to really be consumed by you in a way that um, that is utterly transformational? Or am I afraid? And again, if we're afraid, if there are people who are listening to this right now, they're like, that just sounds like too much. <laughs> it, it just seems too far. Then bring it to prayer. And then just ask Jesus, why am I having such a hard time trusting you? Mm-hmm. Because that's ultimately the core of all of it, all of sin. That's the core of everything. Is it saying, like, why don't I trust you? I can trust you with all these other things, and I'll, I'll go to you for all of the other things. But why don't I trust you? Um, in a way that's actually transformational for my life. Mm. Why don't I trust you with the areas of my heart that are feeling so full of shame? Mm. Because sometimes I think it's easier to hold on to shame. Mm-hmm. I think holding oh, on to shame can be addictive. For sure. Yeah. It's scary to let go of shame because yeah. then we actually have to, like that woman, stand up and say, like, it was me, Lord. Like, I, I touched you. Mm. I reached out and I wanted to be healed by you. And sometimes that's all it takes is being able to speak up and say, like it was me, like in fr- in front of people that we wouldn't normally say that in front yeah, of, yeah. and saying like I went to Jesus and He healed me, I went to Jesus and He brought me out of shame. But until we do it, we just stay stuck in this silence, in this prison of silence. I feel like we should finish on a happy note. Sorry, my melancholic heart. It always it always goes here. No, it's great. It's yeah. great. I was just thinking of another sentence to say after okay. prison of silence. Okay. <laughs> Paralyzed by fear. Paralyzed by fear. Um, so fly, beetle, fly. <laughs> fly on into the fire. <laughs> anyway, anyway, ask God loved you this week. <laughs> Everybody. Oh, man. Father all Michael. All at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all say it. I can see what you catch. I, I had two golden retrievers in my house yesterday and today. They're mine. They're your dogs. They're and they parents. came Your parents and they came to visit. And your parents came to visit. Yeah, that was the great. dogs drove on up to Zubaville. <laughs> <laughs> but there, it was like, yeah, I, I just love. It makes me happy. Mm-hmm. It's a simple joy, and uh, yeah, it was nice. That's all. Father Matthew. Um. Yeah, I think, you know, it it was it's relatively recent news that I'll be leaving my current assignment in campus ministry and I'm moving up to Steubenville, which it it you know I'm happy to be closer to family and friends and. And everything, but of course, it's it's a it's a large loss for me to to leave my students and and um, not be able to work with them in that same capacity anymore. Um, but yeah, th- this this past week, um, yeah, it's just a reminder of how proud I am of them. Um, on this past Wednesday, um, we decided that we wanted to just we we normally have adoration on Wednesday, but. We decided that we wanted to use this Wednesday as a, a longer adoration where we would pray for each person, like all, the whole group that's there. We'd pray for each person that's there one by one. Um, and it's really a beautiful time. And we started at 830 because we wanted to start earlier. We normally start at nine and we went till 1130 hmm. in adoration. And so it's like just a long time of like prayer and just being with Jesus. And um, but it's good. It was just very, very fruitful. And we're definitely going to do them on Fridays from now on because there were several students who were like, yeah, I had assignments due at midnight and <laughs> things like that. But, you know, like I just didn't want to leave. I'm like, okay, well, let's let's be more prudent about that. Right, but yeah. but it was, again, it's just like, um, yeah, again, seeing seeing God's love in my students and how, um, yeah, even even with the news that I'm leaving, um, yeah, just like, yeah, how beautiful they are and, um, yeah, how much they, they choose to love Jesus. In the midst of a really 
challenging environment that's very, very not God-friendly. So it's just really, really good testimony mm-hmm. of their faith to me. Molly, how's God loved you lately? Spiritual direction. I had a really great spiritual direction sesh on Tuesday with my spiritual director. And there was, it was just very fruitful. And I've like seen, I know it's like only been a couple days since then, but I've just seen how it's already affected my prayer. There was something she said to me where she was like, like think of the person that you love most in the world. And when you, when they mess up and do something, even if it hurts you personally, like let's say they're standing at, your door and you're inside and they're outside and they're just like wringing their hands like oh I can't go inside I'm too scared blah 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 what do you want and I was like I just want him to come in and she was like yeah and like man like how much more is that true for God like he doesn't want you to wait and just sit out there it's kind of relevant a long time enough for you to just be like oh I'm bad enough now I can go inside like I realize how bad I am now I can go see God it's like he wants you to come in immediately so that he can love you through that and that was one particularly impactful thing that I've been thinking about a lot. It's been really changing my prayer. So that was great. Awesome. Possum. Awesome possum. Um, I couldn't think of another word. Awesome possum. Blossom. Blossom. Oh. Sorry. Tossum. <laughs> fly, beetle, fly. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be back next week. Molly no, might have her voice to back. Finish it. You're supposed uh-huh. to finish it with Fly Beetle Fly. Can you make that the title? Which one? Fly Beetle Fly. It could be the subtitle. Remember, we're trying to keep up like apropos to the <laughs> okay. topics. Let me know what. Because I tried doing it in the beginning. Yeah, I know. And then it was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Okay, love you, bye. Okay, love you, bye. Okay, love you, bye.